when they say, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Sitting on massive volumes of data and having great compute power, there's just a great opportunity for abuse and bad AI use cases. And I think unconstrained innovation is important in a team room when you're thinking through like, what could we do? What, what could one do? And then once you've decided you should do it, it does fit, then how should you do it? Now, we need the risk people, we need the legal people as well in the room. They need to give the guidance to the people of what type of information can you use. I think it's really important to have a tech trust team. Olá, bem-vindas e bem-vindos. Eu sou a Mariana Almeida e este é o McKinsey Talks, direto do estúdio da McKinsey em São Paulo. Hoje em dia, muito se ouve falar em inteligência artificial, que ganha cada vez mais importância e já é responsável por parte significativa do aumento nas receitas das empresas. Trata-se de um conjunto de técnicas em que as máquinas conseguem simular capacidades humanas. Mas em todo algoritmo de inteligência artificial, existe a necessidade de manuseio de dados. E quando se fala em obter dados de pessoas, sempre há um risco envolvido. No terceiro episódio da série Inteligência Artificial nos Negócios, vamos falar sobre o que chamamos de confiança digital, ou Digital Trust. É uma área importante para as organizações, que reúne uma série de disciplinas para ajudar as empresas a gerenciar e minimizar riscos em tecnologias dados e análises envolvendo algoritmos de inteligência artificial. E para falar sobre este assunto, está aqui comigo no estúdio a Mônica Schwarzwald, sócia da McKinsey São Paulo e líder de transformações analíticas no Brasil. Ela tem mais de 20 anos de experiência em temas de analítica avançada. Olá, Mônica, bem-vinda, é um prazer tê-la aqui conosco hoje. Obrigada, Mariana, o prazer é meu. Muito bem. Também está conectada conosco diretamente de Stanford, nos Estados Unidos, Alice Grannon, ela é sócia associada e lidera os estudos na McKinsey sobre riscos digitais e, especificamente, inteligência artificial. Por isso, a nossa conversa hoje será em inglês. Hello, Liz, welcome. It's such a pleasure to have you here today with us. Obrigada, thank you for having me. Ah, that's great. So, let's get started. So, maybe before we jump into today's topic, I would like the two of you to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about your background as you both have different perspectives. So Liz, can you start? Sure, uh, I have spent the last 20 years a lawyer um, and I have spent 10 of those years as the general counsel of two different analytics startups. And so for a very long time, I've been focused on how do you deploy and scale AI and, uh, and data and analytics technologies in a risk managed way. And I realized back in 2018, I was seeing a major bottleneck where the control functions, risk, legal, cyber, IT, um, they were stopping and slowing down innovation because there was no proper risk management framework in place. And I could see there was a great deal of investment and excitement and senior sponsorship of initiatives across tech, AI, data. And yet, because of a lack of risk management, these were going slowly, these were getting stalled, some were getting canceled, But I knew that there was something operational to do here to protect the innovation and to create, you know, holistic, agile risk management frameworks across AI and data. So um, we began to 
come up with the idea that is now a service line called Digital Trust, which I'm happy to speak to today. And I'll tell you more um, as we go. Great. Thank you very much. That's very interesting. So, Monica, how about you? No, I have a different background. I'm an engineer and I actually have a master's in engineering as well. Um, I've been working with advanced analytics for quite some time right now. I've worked at IBM uh, for four years. I've worked in SaaS for 14 years, always in the advanced analytics practice. I was actually uh, leading the whole consulting business for Latin America in SaaS when I left there. Um, so I've been implementing a lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms at our clients. And at McKinsey, where I've been here for three years, I've done a lot of like digital transformations as well, implementing machine learning algorithms. And I can see more and more the importance of a digital trust uh, in our clients, making sure we have like the security needed when we implement those types of algorithms. So I'm very glad to be here. And, and I think the subject is really important. Thank you very much. It's going to be a great conversation, I'm sure. So Liz, digital trust may sound like a pretty broad term. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it is? I can, and it is a broad term. I think the word digital itself is broad. It, it's, it's so, it seems like you've got analog and you've got digital, and digital kind of seems like everything we do these days. So how do you build trust into everything we do these days? I will add, you're in a, a global trust crisis. That I think we are at an all-time low, um, says, says the Adelman Trust Barometer globally in our faith in governments and in media um, as a society. And one of the highest institutions that um, holds people's trust is our businesses and specifically people's employers. So there's a new expectation that companies will be behave in a trustworthy manner, that they are the source of trust in our society. And as, employ as uh, these companies are employing AI, tech tools, data, and doing great things with data. There's, there's a great personalization journey that companies can do with data to, to help customers and consumers feel seen, feel known, um, feel like they've got you know, an intimate relationship with, with the company that they patronize. There are so many also ways to, to disrupt this trust using data you don't have the right to use, um, sending out invasive advertisements, AI that that the output of which is highly biased and and you know shutting off goods and services to a whole cohort of a population. Of course, we know about the traditional cyber threats that can derail data breaches, et cetera. So I think the idea is data digital trust is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for companies to take a stand on what ethics they would like to be known for, and then operationalize those ethics with regard to data use and technology use. So we can give some examples, but if this involves, you know, understanding what you are willing to do with data, what you'd like to do with data, what you will not do with data, and then how will you deploy AI? What, what risk management framework do you have in place? When do you test for fairness? How do you ensure privacy? How do you ensure security? And how do you also ensure that the use of AI is explainable, transparent, and your consumers know how you're using their data in AI. Um, this is this is key to to develop trustworthy relationships with your consumers. Okay, thank you. You mentioned two words like transparency, and I think it's uh, very important, really, nowadays with fake news and everything that we are going through. So, Monica, Liz mentioned risk in the AI implementation, data quality, and cybersecurity. 
Can you give us some practical examples of these risks? Sure. Um, I think a lot of the information that these companies have, it's internal information from the clients. And they actually said, okay, I mean, you can have my information, right? I mean, they gave the acceptance to the company to have that information. So these companies, they have to really take care that their information don't go outside like they are the internal information of the, that the company has, right? So the cybersecurity threat, it's a major threat in here because you need to make sure that the information from the clients, that they agree that you have their information, it's actually seated in there and it's not going to go outside, right? So there were like a lot of scandals in the media lately, I think in the last two to three years. And we saw like a lot of those data sometimes like going outside the, the company information, right? And, and so this is a major threat. The other thing is like the data quality, right? I mean, you have to take care of like what data it's in there and how you treat that information. So sometimes, I mean, if the data from a client, it's actually has the data from another client or if you are not treating that data, this is really dangerous as well because, I mean, you're going to provide a lot of information that's not true. And, and that happens a lot. The other, it's confidential information, you know, like sometimes like wage, salaries, uh, people say, hey, I mean, you cannot use that information. So sometimes people use those types of information when they do like machine learning models because, I mean, they aggregate sometimes value in the models that the companies are providing, right? So first of all, you need acceptance and you need to know like when and how to use that information and if you can use it. So every time like we go to a project, we always check for that. I mean, and, and even like the risk practice, like for McKinsey, I mean, we got to say, hey, I mean, are you using confidential information? Are you using sensible information? How are you going to treat that data, right? And where this data is going to be um, placed, right? So we go a lot of like, like a, a checklist to make sure that we are safe. And then we can do a project that it's safe and sound, right? That we're not going to have any risks or at least the risks are controlled, right? Mitigated. And yeah, exactly. Right. So Liz, uh, in these cases, how would the digital trust help to mitigate the risks? So Monica mentioned some uh, concrete examples. So how the digital trust could help? I love that Monica mentioned a checklist. And I think the building of the checklist is, the, is a great exercise for companies. What do you know you want to do on that checklist? And what do you want to make sure you do not do? And, and the building of that checklist really starts with strategy. You Every organization has a strategy, and when they think through how they want to prioritize data missions and, and their analytics use cases and their deployment of AI across the organization, I think key to developing that strategy is to think, how can we make sure that we've got resilience across our data use, that we don't interrupt the customer trust, that we um, don't interrupt the flow of business, that we don't have big slowdowns. These are all things that go into, you know, how, how you build digital trust into the, the company strategy. And then you have to ask yourself, and this is a key constraint across a lot of our clients, do you have the talent that knows how to control for the risks um, the, the, to build this checklist, for instance? Do you have lawyers that can speak data science? Do you have data scientists who know the regulations? Do you have the business folks understanding that there needs to be communication between the control functions and the technologists in the beginning so that the product design itself, even the sourcing of data, 
uh, is done with with all of the you know compliance and ethics by design in mind. So you start with strategy, you go to talent, under, ensuring that you have these things in place. Then a gap assessment, you know, in in building out what do you have in place, what are these controls that what you know do you know what you can and cannot do, and then what is missing. And then when you have your set of controls, what can you automate? Because as you scale, it's hard to go through checklists, uh, you know, sort of from an analog perspective and just kind of run through it's important. But the more you can automate these things, the faster you can scale your, your attack and your innovation. And then, you know, and then how are you going to ensure that once these models are in production, what's your monitoring scheme? How do you know that um, you know, that the model governance is enduring past, you know, past your test, past your development, all the checks that you've made along the way. How do you know that the models have not drifted, that the data itself has not, you know, is not producing bias? I had a great, a great comparison. A data scientist once said that if a model in pre-production is like a, a, a mother expecting a baby, the, the model post-production that's just, that's running is like a two-year-old and you need governance of a two-year-old. And I think that was very visceral reminder of models that are running within an organization. You just need to make sure that they continue to be resilient and um, that, that, that there's no drift. And so I think the governance needs to be full life cycle from the very design of the of the AI tool that you want to use all the way through the retirement of the data that feeds it, that, you know, thoughtful across the entire uh, life cycle. Well, thank you for the example. It was very good. So, uh, well, I understood that the digital trust is a series of measures that provide a framework for companies and their customers to feel safe when it comes to using or applying the technology. But Monica, what other measures could companies take in the use of technology to increase their security and mitigate risks to their operation? So I think, first of all, I mean, they should have like the right resources, right? And they should receive like training and capacity. I mean, when they receive training, I mean, when they know like what they need to do, I think this is like the, a very good first step. The other thing is like the governance, right? I mean, what are the steps that you need? Like as Liz mentioned, like the checklist. I mean, what are the things that you need to go through? What's needed? I mean, when you like develop that kind of model, usually have like different environments that we call it. So we have the deployment environment, we have the training environment, we have the production environment. So we need to know like how to transition from one environment to the other. Also, like when you work with third party providers or you work with other vendors, I mean, how are you going to deal with it? I mean, who's responsible for what? So having like the, the right responsibilities, who signed for what? I mean, how do you use like the different environments, having the people trained, I think this is great and this avoid a lot of the risks embedded into it. Great. We're talking about machines, but a human aspect is very important in training. Totally, totally. I mean, I mean, when you have like a model or, or something like that and, and people go directly for, for example, for the production environment without going through the others, I mean, this is a huge risk. So it doesn't really, work. They can, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. So did the companies get more exposed to these risks after the COVID-19 pandemic? Why? So yes, definitely. I mean, uh, with COVID, uh, a lot of the companies increased their use, for, their use for technology, right? A lot of digital, a lot of advanced analytics. So definitely, um, the more you use, the more risk you are embedded into it. So um, the answer is definitely. So we need to take care. And, uh, and also, I think because we are going faster, 
that requires more governance and that requires more people look into it. Yeah, you mentioned the companies, but also the clients are using more, aren't they? Because they are buying more, they're using more. Totally. So the companies need to be ready for this, right? So by the time that they are using more, so on and so forth, like more information, it's been capped. So you have like risk of cybersecurity. I mean, you have like the e-commerce risks. You have all of that already embedded. And like I said, the more you use, the more risks, right? So definitely the, the companies need to be taken care of. And so the clients, right? I mean, it's their information that exactly. they're giving to these companies. So uh, Liz, a lot of companies have been working on topics like digital trust for a while. So why is this approach so important and different right now? I love what Monica just said, but the more data that you have, the higher the risk. It's true. I mean, the, the promulgation of both massive volumes of data and the compute power to process it makes a lot of uh, use cases really tempting because data can be so predictive. But I think um, the Spider-Man movies say it well when they say, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Sitting on massive volumes of data and having great compute power there are, there's just a great opportunity for abuse and bad AI use cases. And I think innovation, unconstrained innovation is important in a team room when you're thinking through like, what could we do? What, what could one do? But after you think through what can we do, then you have to test A, is it lawful? B, if we can do it, should we do it? Is it does it fit within our corporate you know, risk aperture and our codified ethics and and what we want consumers to know us for. And then once you've decided you should do it, it does fit, then how should you do it? So it's, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a chain of, of considerations to say, how shall we carefully think through um, how we do this? And, you know, there's a great opportunity in digital trust, but there's also a protection against downsides and the downsides are material. Regulators have become extremely activist in this space. They started in Europe with GDPR, of course, but increasingly, we see regulators in the US, for instance, the FTC in January required a company to delete its, the entire system of models because they were using data that they did not have the consent to do. They were using biometric data. Um, and you know, AI use cases around um, you know, children's data and facial expressions and analysis around facial expressions. And the, you know, there are a variety of things that, that regulators are saying, no, you may not do this. And in Europe, we're seeing the development of the AI um, the act that will regulate AI, and it, it will look pretty similar to GDPR in its, in its breadth and scope and penalties, although it's, the penalties are even higher at 6% of global revenue. So I think we're seeing high dollar fines. We're seeing incredibly activist and, in, and involved regulators that are going into the detail on how do you, as you think through the, you know, should we, and if, if so, how should we, thinking through how companies have thoughtfully risk managed their use of data and technology. And that is where I think the leading companies in this space have a thoughtful answer to give the regulators. They will say, Here are, here's our framework, here are our controls, here are the protocols that we follow, here's how often we update them. And you know, model cards, model documentation, data privacy checklists, I mean, I love the checklist. Um, these are all things that tell the story. So I think as, as organizations think through, what does good digital trust look like? It is telling the story of how you were thoughtful in deploying technology and, and you know, widespread use of data um, and telling that story to the regulators about why you've risk managed this for consumers and, you know, and, why, and how you test to make sure that, that 
fairness, transparency, you know, all along the way is preserved. So you mentioned children data, which is very serious indeed. So it's something, it's a good point to take care, actually. And you mentioned also a few examples of what can go wrong. What are some of other areas of risk that companies need to consider? You know, privacy is such a big one uh, on the on the children's front, but on, on another one's front. I think AI can harm customers and it, the use of data, like just calling on data that sits in data lakes and, and trying to see what's predictive. Um, you know, the companies that collect geolocation data based on the app use, for instance, and then targeting customers when they see that they've gone into certain neighborhoods. I mean, that's something that consumers are, are starting to take strong stands on because it feels invasive. Security that Monica had mentioned, of course, is a, is a very traditional risk. The threat vector has expanded with the use of AI as these models scale, you know, and there are sensitive information going into these models. We've usually talked about, you know, sensitive personal information being the height of, you know, of the data that needs to be protected. But one trend we're seeing is, is um, you know, data that's just competitively sensitive to organization, whether it's personal data or not. Companies thrive on data and competitively sensitive data, they want to shield that as well. And then you think about the whole variety of technology solutions that help um, protect, like, you know, privacy enhancing technologies that protect both the privacy and the security of the data. Fairness, fairness is a really interesting and, and, and big one. If you don't think through how to make AI fair, it will be unfair. It's a machine. And it's giving, you give it data, the data is often biased. Unless you affirmatively check and test and ensure that 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 the the output, the decisions that you take based on the output of the model is fair, you run a very strong risk that you are making very unfair decisions. For instance, proxy data. This is data that where you know you you're feeding into a model, you don't necessarily say, okay, what's the skin tone of all of these data subjects that on its face companies likely know that that is something that is not consistent with their values. But sometimes they put in, like in the US, they'll put in zip codes. The zip codes can serve as a proxy and often for skin tone. And then you have racial dis racially disparate models coming out. So you, being thoughtful about how you employ, you know, fairness and testing for fairness along the way. And then, you know, the, just the very basics of performance. AI performance is something that it goes to resilience. How are the models performing? Have you tested? Have you validated? If you have a, a, a poorly performing model, that's just a major financial risk for the organization. And I think as you see the various regulations, you know, uh, coming from the U.S. Congress, there's one sitting in the Senate committee right now. There are the FTC has has been very vocal about how they're going to regulate. We see it in Europe. Of course, um, in Brazil, the, the data privacy regulations also address, you know, AI. Um, you're starting to see a convergence of these data privacy laws and, you know, the, these AI regulations. We thought that what, in one client study, we thought that what consumers really wanted was autonomy over their data. We thought this was very important to them. It turns out, based on our consumer-backed research, they appreciate autonomy, but what they really want is explainability. They want to know what's happening. They want plain language descriptions of how the data is being used, how the AI tools are being used. How can you explain the decision that you made? For instance, if if they've just denied a loan, why did you deny the loan? What data went into that 
what, what, you know, why, why is it that I don't get access to employment? What was the training data that went into the, the AI, you know, the hiring algorithm? This explainability, you know, key is, um, is something that really matters to consumers be, because they're impacted by, by these AI outputs and the decisions that, co that companies take. And then lastly, this seems obvious, but it's a very big risk, third-party risks. We've got third-party data brokers and third-party vendors that build the models themselves. And it's, it's like models as a service. And these introduce risks. And if you have vendors that don't follow your own organization's protocols, and they don't have a risk management framework and they don't you know they don't have the requisite talent you have a risk you know as if you just sort of started a, a skunkworks project in you know in a, in a back room in your organization you have to ensure as you onboard and do diligence around these vendors that they follow the same ethical code as you that they follow the same protocols and ideally you force them through that checklist that monica was mentioning if you develop your checklist you have them the third parties follow your checklist to the t so that you know that there's quality Okay, and uh, just a curiosity, you mentioned like fairness. How could we check fairness? It would require a human being like going over the process that AI is doing just to see if everything is fine? That's right. It's, it's saying what output is coming out of the model and then saying, is that, so I'll give you an example. If you are doing an underwriting model in insurance and it, and it, and it happens to be predictive that credit score is highly predictive of the risk of an, of um, of underwriting risk. So, in the U.S., credit score in six states now is either unlawful to use as a as a feature, a factor in underwriting, or it's constrained in some material way. This is because credit score in our country is often linked to race and our backgrounds, our employment, our education, but not necessarily indicative of our ability to pay premiums and to, um, you know, to be a sort of a, a good candidate for insurance. So we're seeing increasingly, you know, you say to yourself, well, what went into the data? And like, do we just take zip codes? Do we just take your education background? Are we taking something that looks like data that you wouldn't normally use, but it's a proxy for that data and saying, if the output, if the input is in some way biased and, or if the output is biased and you can do this by testing you know samples of of the output and saying does it look like the population is represented here do we have loans going to only one people group do you have for instance um there was a, a financial organization that partnered with a tech company in the us where a credit card extended credit five times the amount of credit to the the husband in a relationship and and one fifth of the credit to the wife. But this was in a community property state, California, where they have the rights to each other's property. They, they share the property. So the five times credit limit is, is a clearly just a biased outcome. So I think knowing that you want to ensure, you know, just fair treatment of all peoples, you go in and you test and you sample and you see if there's going to be disparate impact of the model output. Okay, thank you very much. So with all these categories of risk, I'm sure some of companies are feeling overwhelmed. How should companies think about getting started? I think the best way to get started is to ask yourself as an organization, where am I getting the most value out of data and analytics? So what's, what is our core business process? Where do we really care that we are able to use, protect, scale, use of data, use of technology? This is what we really want to protect. And then you say, what context in which 
um, digital risk occurs. Like where, where are we lacking? And this goes to that gap assessment we talked about earlier. So you, maybe you start with data risk and you say, where do we capture? Where do we collect the data? How do we source the data? Where, where are we getting it? And, and look to see, you know, are, is there any interruption in the data flow, for instance? And this goes to just resilience and, and continuity. Is there bias in the data? Is the data, is there data quality? Is it misleading, this data that we're using? Then understanding the whole data life cycle, then looking into how you develop, design, and train the models. You might have an opaque model that performs brilliantly, but you can't explain how it's used. You can't explain to a consumer who is who gets denied something, gets denied an, an employment opportunity, gets denied a loan. You, if you can't explain it, you want to maybe sacrifice some of that productivity of the model for transparency. And then as talking back about around the two-year-old, you've got the model deployment. So the process of model deployment and the underlying risks, uh, the, the underlying infrastructure has risk itself. So you might have a, a model that performs brilliantly in a test environment or in the lab, but not in the real world. So I think this constantly seeing, testing, measuring decisions that you're taking off of models. And this becomes especially important when the model output just like flips the switch and a decision is made versus a human in the loop that gets to test for quality check in the, in the middle of it. Um, and then you have teams of control functions that really know, they know how to test. You know, you'll have lawyers and you'll have risk folks and you'll have cyber folks. They know what they're looking for. They know like a vendor that seems like maybe they're not, you know, following protocols or they don't have the right skill sets or they don't have the right, they're just not doing again, back to the checklist. So I think you want to make sure that the control functions are reviewing, you know, vendor privacy compliance, vendor stability. And I think looking into the actual language of the vendor agreements, while it sounds fairly boring, it's really key to see what have they promised to do and what have they promised they will not do, because that matters so much when you're actually like trying to scale up an AI, you know, full ecosystem across an organization. So. The last thing I think I will say is there, there's such a pressing and I think it's kind of a new need around a regulatory group, a like sort of a legal and regulatory interpretation group that sees all the various global regulations that are coming, sees where the enforcement has clarified those regulations, because I think sometimes on its face, the regulators are, they have a theme that they want enforced, but how it actually plays out is not that clear. So a group that can say, we see where the where the cards are laid out, we see what needs to happen, and they have enough knowledge of the business and enough connect connectivity with the technologists to make pivots, to say, hey, product owner, you actually can't use these features or these data sets anymore. And, and it's quick and it's much more rapid than like a, an annual cycle of, of policy review, which is maybe the traditional way of doing it. This needs to be agile. This needs to be you know, lawyers in the room with the technologists, not to say no, it's literally to how do you do it so that you can strip friction out of this development and design and design development and deployment life cycle. How do you do this in a way that keeps everything on the tracks and keeps it running smoothly and is in compliance with the law and the regulation? So I think this is, these are all sort of stages of, of growth of maturity that organizations can take, but it's vital because I think missteps in this space can cause major reputational damage and finds from regulators. 
Okay, thank you. And you mentioned people, the role of people in these processes. So Monica, what kind of talent do companies need to deliver on the promises of digital and analytics? So usually like when you do these type of models, you have the traditional like data engineer, software engineering people. You have the data science that actually like build the models, right? But more in the translators that have like the business knowledge. But now we need the risk people. And like Liz was mentioning, we need the legal people as well in the room, right? I mean, they need to give the guidance to that people of what type of information can you use? What type of information can you cannot use? And like the risk people, I mean, have you gone through like the, the checklist and the things? I mean, to say, hey, I mean, can you, have you done this? I mean, have you checked for this? So not only like the technical people, but you also should have in the room the legal and the risk people nowadays. I think it's really important to have a tech trust, right, team. Okay, so, um, and Monica, are there any issues that companies in Latin America and especially in Brazil need to consider? Definitely. I think like the, the laws, like the LGPD, right, it needs to be considered, um, the sensible information, they need to get updated, like Liz was saying, like every day, what are the new regulations? What are the new implications? What are the things that we need to be taking care of or that we need to know every time like we go into some types of that engagement in our clients? So definitely. Unfortunately, we only have time for a few final thoughts. So Liz and Monica, any lasting points that you want to highlight? No, I would just say that it's really important, especially for us technical people that are like used to do like these uh, quiet and fun <laughs> machine learning algorithms and do like this major transformation with our client. And I think, I mean, we create a lot of impact when we do this, when we do this type of transformations. And uh, so the results for the client and even I mean, for us who are building is, is tremendous and it's amazing, but we need to take care of the implications and the risks, right? I mean, we cannot forget or let it go. And we need to make sure that we are taking care of the risks involved, that we're using the right data, that we know what to do um, to mitigate those risks. So I think that's my final side. So Liz, how about you? Do you have any final remarks? I would like to underscore everything that Monica just said. There's great value, great impact to be had across uh, use of analytics at scale. And yet you can think about it like building a house. You can build the most beautiful house with suites and rooms and, and multiple stories. But if you don't have a strong foundation in place, that house is not secure. So to protect the innovation, to protect the investment in technology and AI uh, and in your data, uh, it's so important as to borrow the, the phrase that Monica had used, tech trust teams, to put in place a tech trust team to ensure the foundation is strong. So thank you very much, Liz, and thank you very much, Monica, for being here with us and for your insights today. Muito obrigada também a você que nos acompanha em vídeo ou em podcast. Para enviar o feedback sobre este episódio, acesse a pesquisa pelo link que está aí na descrição. Para entrar em contato com os nossos especialistas, nosso e-mail é mckinsey-talks.com. Você também pode enviar perguntas para o próximo episódio dessa série. Participe! E a agenda completa do McKinsey Talks está no mckinseytalks.com. Lá você também pode conferir este episódio e os anteriores em vídeo ou em podcast. É isso aí, muito obrigada e até a próxima!